Hello. All right. So I don't know how long this episode is really going to be because honestly, I am just so fucking tired. Tabor comes home on Sunday. I'm recording this Thursday. I had the goal of putting these episodes out on Thursdays, um, but with like the cadence of my energy... I don't know what the hell I just said. Like how I like like the days in which I typically have energy, apparently, as I've like paid attention, it really is like Thursdays. I feel like I get a lot done and I would rather record on Thursdays to post on Friday. So I think I might actually start releasing these on Friday and it feels like less choppy in the middle of the week than to have to like stop and record. Also, it does matter a lot. My TV lineup because like the four people who listen to this um, because I haven't yet figured out how to really pay like focus and pay attention on like analytics. So I, I, I have no idea how many people are listening to this. If it's more than like six or seven, I would be shocked. But um, I think some of those people care about the television that I'm watching. And so I feel like maybe like Friday would make more sense, but none of that matters. Um, the point is, I'm so tired. I don't know how long I'm going to be able to talk for. I want to give some updates, some hot takes, uh, and then I'm going to go the fuck to sleep. Um, I'm going to talk about Vanderpump Rules. If you don't care about Vanderpump Rules, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. You're, I, I don't know how long I'm going to talk about it, so you're just going to have to maybe keep fast forwarding. Or I, I'm going to, I'm going to tangent. To things like adjacent to Vanderpump Rules, so you know what? Maybe stick around and you'll you'll get an education on the history of Bravo. Okay, so last night was the finale of Scandaval, meaning it was the third of three um, reunions. And here's the thing: I do feel like Bravo at this point is milking it a little bit because there's apparently like every season of Bravo. Um, or like most Bravo shows, there's this secrets revealed episode, which really is just like things that ended up on the cutting room floor that were boring or like didn't fit the storyline. And they just throw an episode together just for the hell of it. Well, the, the preview for it is like even more betrayal, even more secrets. And it's like, okay, if I'm even getting a little bit fatigued, I think maybe that means it's time to call it a day. Um, So for all intents and purposes, it is over. And the best way, I've seen this a couple times on the internet, and for the people who don't watch Vanderpump Rules and you're very excited that this is about to start phasing out of our zeitgeist, the best way to describe what is happening in Vanderpump Rules and why it's such a big deal is to use a Friends reference. If you watch the show Friends, like everyone on the planet has at one point. Imagine, so Chandler and Monica are together. Imagine Chandler cheating on Monica with Rachel. And they're, ha- they've, they're having an affair. And it's, th- the reason why that's a perfect explanation is that Rachel and Monica are very good best friends but also Rachel was dating Ross, who is Chandler's best friend. In Sandoval, with Sandoval and Ariana and Raquel, and who else am I forgetting? James. So the reason why I think this had such legs that it had is and has just like shook people so much 
is that, and I think I talked about this with Tabor when I made him talk about Vanderpump Rules for a second, but the reason why I think people have given so many fucks about this and even non-Bravo people are like, okay, what is the show about? Is because it's like, honestly, a really interesting study into relationships, friendship, um, yeah, betrayal, for God's sake, personality disorders. I mean, lying, but like, you know, the host before bros kind of thing, like, or bros before hoes or whatever that term is. Like, it's it's just really interesting. It's, it's like watching something that everyone has experienced, whether it's cheating, it's a friendship betrayal, it's disappointment, it's heartbreak. We're watching it play out in real time. But you also have the social media aspect. So, like, for all those reasons, I think it is, like, I, I have obviously been captivated by this for three months. You guys, this broke, like, March 6th. We've been living in a Scandal universe for over three months. And I don't know what's going to be less, left of my personality when this really is all said and done in the coming days. But I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. I'm going to have to actually do something for my child's birthday party, which we'll get there in a second. But, um, yeah. <sighs> I think the reason why this is so interesting is because like everybody can relate to it a little bit, um, <clears throat> especially watching what happened last night. So again, for the non Vanderpump people, they basically, this was the first confrontation between Ariana and Raquel and all of the players in this whole situation. But hold on, I got to go back up or I got to back up to the friends reference. So, or friends example. The reason why this is so interesting is that there's the whole aspect of like, let's say Chandler, this happened and Chandler and Ross are best friends. So Chandler had an affair with Ross's ex. Well, Sandoval had an affair with Raquel and he was best friends with her ex-fiance James. But now he's trying to really downplay their friendship and was like, bro, we only talked once a month and it's like, fuck you. There's nothing more hurtful than someone downplaying their friendship just because they're trying to justify the shitty thing that they've done to you. That's exactly what he was doing. So all in all, last night, getting to see everyone confront each other for the first time and thinking back that this, with a context of remembering, okay, this was like two or three weeks after this all came out. It was super fresh. It's not like it's been three months now. Like this was pretty fresh. Every, the biggest takeaway, I think, so far is that Raquel has seemed to not had have any remorse or shown any emotion. The fact that she's not crying, she's not really emoting, is like a huge red flag for people. And I have been the same way. I'm like, this girl is diabolical. She does not feel any remorse. She is also a sociopath, like kind of, you know, diagnosing as the rest of the internet has done. And I want to be careful to not do that because I think it's like tacky when people do that. But watching what happened last night and for context, she was very, I would say maybe not stone faced, but she was very like there was just not there was no emotion coming off. She'd never cried once. She walked off the set once and it was when Ariane was really laying into her. And I mean, yeah, I, I could never sit there and hear things about me like that said, no matter what I had done. So hundred percent, like I would have removed myself from the situation too, but she took a drink of water and then she came back and then, and first of all, 
yes, Raquel had an affair with her very good friend's partner. That is, there is no excuse for that. That is a horrible thing to do. That is a, a deep betrayal that is like inexplicable. However, the things that Ariana said to her, no matter the reason, I don't know if I agree with ever saying those things to another woman, using words like whore, using words like filth. It, it really, I, I am going to, you know, take a stand and go out on a limb here and say, I do think Ariana took it a little too far. But again, this was two weeks out. She's still so angry. Um, I felt icky watching it from it's like girl on girl crime, you know, like mean girls. <laughs> like it was it was very uncomfy. I'll say that. Also, moving on. So the big reveal that everybody's been talking about for like weeks of because Alex Baskin, I think that's his name, he's the showrunner for Vanderpump Rules. He said in some interview that the last five minutes or the last scene, there's something big that happens in the reunion that he believes could make some people on the show not want to return. So he didn't want anyone to sign a contract until they had seen the final episode and they purposely withheld the episodes from the cast. Usually they, I heard Lala on her podcast say that, um, they get the episodes for that week, like a few days before or something. And she said like, she had never like, they they did not get this final episode. And so she watched it live with everybody else. So in what the, the big reveal of the last five minutes, I would like, people were speculating that, Oh, maybe Raquel's pregnant or maybe it's that the affair had just been going on a lot longer than everyone was being led to believe or just like had been going on longer than Sandoval and Raquel said it was, which is what I thought it was. I have said from the beginning, I'm like, these people are liars. These two people are liars. They both were adamant that they had a one night stand in like August, but then the affair didn't start until super, they were super vague, like maybe December, January, somewhere in there. And for whatever reason, they were like sticking to that, lie and sticking to the lie that they never hooked up in Tom's house that he shares with Ariana that it was you know that these little details he was really obsessive about lying about it turns out but they 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 were adamant that the affair started in August I have said since this all broke I'm like these people are obviously liars why are we just taking at face value that it started in August like why are we not just assuming that that's also a lie and this could have gone back to when James and Raquel broke up which was like a year and a half ago so anyway the big reveal was that no the affair was full on starting around August or starting in August and Raquel revealed it in her one-on-one interview and she, said in really kind of broken up words she said you know Tom has really Tom has made me lie about this Tom has wanted me to lie about this and it is a lie like he was focused on these little details such as it was you know making it seem like it wasn't as long it wasn't while they were filming which it absolutely was that they had hooked up at Sheena's wedding and then she also revealed that yes they did hook up 
in his home, specifically when Ariana, his partner, was away for her grandmother's funeral. I mean, again, demented. But what I think to me, yes, that's okay. It's gross. But like we already assumed that was the case. I don't think anybody really believed them because even with his put on emotion, the acting, it's like what I think the big reveal was is that I think this girl has been deeply manipulated by this nightmare man because in her inter- in this interview, she finally not only showed emotion, she was shaking and crying and trying to catch her breath. And she said words like, he's going to kill me for saying this. He's going to, if, if I betray him, I have no one left. He's all I have left. I've lost everyone for him. I, to me, I think the reveal is this is like getting really, we're like flirting with the line of emotional abuse here because to isolate someone from all their friends and family, to turn them against so many people because of something that you have manipulated them into doing, which is lying, um, and then to see her in intense emotion over it when she has, until that point, that scene, been so emotionless and so cold and so like, like sh- looking like she wasn't showing remorse. Um and then to see her break like that, I think was petrifying and makes me really sad. And even Lala and Watch What Happens Live, who like goes for the jugular with everybody, said, yeah, I did feel bad for her. And it makes me really shocked, actually, that she didn't, because I think she hired a crisis PR team. I don't really remember. Um, it makes me now surprised that they didn't take the angle of, he manipulated her. She's his victim because like, I'd believe that story. I kind of think that might be the story. Like, was she a willing participant? She thinks she's in love with him. Sure. But I, this man is a textbook narcissist. I'm not even going to touch on the t-shirt comment. If you watch the episode, you know what I'm talking about, but it's, he made this vile comment about he and Ariana being intimate and her keeping her t-shirt on. It was disgusting. And in my opinion, not in my opinion, I I know this with conviction. Narciss- the word narcissist is thrown around a lot. It's kind of used colloquially and not like a clinical way anymore. It's kind of like the word like um, I'm triggered or I'm, I don't know. There's a lot of words that like I admit to fully using, but like aren't really, they don't like mean what they mean. I almost become a cliche a little bit, but the, the their narcissistic personality disorder is real. And I have a history of a very a bad relationship with a person who is, again, also a textbook narcissist. And I will eventually get into that maybe one day. I don't know. Again, I got to make sure I'm not going to get sued. But um, the thing with narcissists is that they put on a face, they put on a facade, they put on almost like an act, and they are really good at being chameleons and blending in with the people that they're around, especially the partner that they have at the time. They, They mimic them, uh, whether it's the way that they act, they dress, the music that they like. And 
they have this persona, but it's really exhausting to constantly be keeping up that act. And over time, it's going to start to slip away. It's it's because it gets really exhausting. That's what happened in my situation is that this person got really, I could tell that they were getting really tired and they started to slip in front of other people, in front of my family. And that's what Tom did in the reunion. He had this act together. He obviously coached Raquel through it. You know, the whole scene of him saying, I just want five minutes with her without a camera. It's because he wanted to make sure that she had her story straight, obviously. But my point is, he had this act going, the tears, the crocodile tears, all this shit. And Ariana said something that clearly poked the bear. And he, like, immediately, he dropped the act. He, he slipped for a second and he, and he spit out this disgusting comment that I, I saw something on Instagram. It was like on People Magazine or something. And it was like a quote from Andy that was like, every woman in America is going to be triggered by this episode. And I know that's that scene is what he was talking about because like for sure, for sure. So anyway, um, the whole thing with Raquel, I, yeah, I think the reveal was that I, this is, this now feels dark to me. Honestly, it made me feel sad and icky. And honestly, I'm like, oh, I don't think this is fun anymore. I, there's part of me that wishes they would have not like drug this out for ratings and not drug out, drug this out for hype. I kind of wish they would have led with this because I think it would have made us just feel a little bit um, differently about Raquel. Do I feel bad for her? I'm not going to lie. Yeah, a little bit, because I think that there's more going on than is really being like perpetuated. But again, this is like, there's a lot of sides to this. There's a lot of, I don't know. I've already been talking about this for 18 minutes. (laughs) Like, I could talk about this for hours. I mean, yeah, because again, it is kind of relatable. No matter the the piece of it, you've probably experienced something similar. And that's why it's so... I'm so sorry. I got to turn this off. Um, Taylor, I'm sorry. I have to put you on Do Not Disturb. Okay. Do Not Disturb. All right. So um, I have one more point and then I'm done. I mentioned how I am annoyed by people who like try to diagnose other people when they don't really know what they're talking about. With that said... I think a lot of people are focusing on the lack of emotion that Raquel was showing and the like the coldness throughout her one-on-one interviews within the reunion. How like how can you sit there and not cry even at least like at all? How can you not have a tear? How can you not? Well, then we watched what happened when she completely broke down and you even even the producer says your face is saying everything and I didn't feel that way at the reunion I didn't feel like her face was saying anything she was very cold very blank slate okay I'm not gonna say like I think you know she has some sort of disorder I'm not gonna say she has anything however I do know a little bit about benzodiazepines and I don't think it's unreasonable to suspect that perhaps she had taken something before the reunion to allow her to just simply sit there and exist. I don't think that that is an unreasonable thing to think. Um, And the thing about benzos is it kind of stifles that ability to have strong reactions. It's literally what the drug is created for. So 
I think that maybe everyone should keep that in mind that maybe it wasn't a lack of remorse, especially then seeing the strong emotional reaction in her one-on-one. I just think it's something to think about. Um, Okay. I think I'm going to move on from Vanderpump Rules. I'm not going to lie. I think I'm putting a pin in Scandaval because, yeah, I think it actually is just a sadder story than we think. I think Ariana went a little too hard. I don't think she had a great day today. Um, But... God, she was fucked over by a nightmare person in Tom Sandoval. So, all right. Maybe I'm on the wrong side of history with this. I don't know. Okay, moving on. Anyway, what other TV am I watching? Okay. I'm actually not going to do any more TV recaps because, like, that's not this, – this podcast is not a TV recap. However, uh, I – like I've said, I, I am okay admitting I watch a lot of television. And, like, I, something I hate, like I hate, is when – um, older generations, specifically my mother says, well, like, I didn't do all this. I didn't do that. Whatever it is that I'm talking about of like the thing that I'm hyper fixating on of the week with my child. And she's like, I didn't do that. And like, you turned out fine. Well, my mom said that about screen time. She was like, you knew how to work the remote control. You know how to turn on Barney at 18 months old. And she had the audacity to say, and you turned out fine. I'm like, mom, I have very few personality traits that don't have anything to do with television. What are you talking about? I turned out fine. I am like sometimes incapable of going more than a half an hour without like turning on my TV or without like, I don't even scroll my phone that much anymore, but I always have a television on. And like, is that turning out fine? I don't know. I'm a little bit more cognizant of it lately, but okay. Anyway, what else am I watching? Um, my Talk about, oh, I mean, again, talk about personality traits. My favorite things in the world fall under like one of three branches. One is cults. Two is pyramid schemes. And then also like the intersection of those. And then three is religious oppression. I think I mentioned this with Tabor. And like organized religion and like the ways in which they have fucked up society and myself. And then also like the intersection of all three of those. Um, And I I did something. I don't know if I did a good deed in the last few months. I don't know if I, this is like my good karma circling back around, but like something has happened where like the universe has blessed me. I mean, I, I can't even explain the serotonin that I had last week when on the same day, I had at my fingertips this book called Hey Hun. It's by Emily Lynn Paulson. I did my research. I think she was with Rodan and Fields, but she wrote like a tell-all book basically about her time at the very top of a multi-level marketing company. Um, I need to fact check that, but I think it was Rodan and Fields. But like she doesn't meant she doesn't say the name of the company in the book again because she doesn't want to get sued. But I like from what I can find, I think that's what she was part of. Um, it is so good. It's so juicy. I literally read it in a day. Um, that came out and then the Duggar documentary called shiny happy people. And it was like a little bit about the Duggars, but it was also about this thing called Institute of basic life principles or what they said called IBLP, which I think is a fun acronym, even though it is like a monstrous, monstrous institution. Um, but that, so like 
you know, the Duggars, like I remember back in the day being like addicted to, I mean, I watched a lot of TLC. I really don't anymore. I don't know why. Anyway, maybe I'm going to, I'm going to start dabbling in hoarders again or something. By the way, uh, I was talking to my father-in-law the other day. I can't remember why we were talking about this. Uh, but like, I think maybe one of my dream jobs is to like go into people's houses and purge their shit. I'm not talking like hoarders because I think that like that's there's a mental illness involved in that. I don't have that kind of like I don't have that in me, but like I wish I invented the home edit. I say that all the time. I said that to my neighbor yesterday. I, I literally wish I invented the home edit because I love getting rid of shit. I get rid of shit that I need constantly. Um why did I start talking about this? Oh the show hoarders, TLC. I'm walking back. The Duggars. Okay. So <laughs> I'm so tired. I'm so tired. And I've drank half a cider, a hard cider. Uh, Blake's flannel mouth. It's my favorite. Anyway, so like the skirts and the hair. And I think I think I thought that they were just like very conservative Christian. But it no, it all stems from this organization called IBLP. And it was created by this person named Bill, Bill Gothard. And it's just... I would say the documentary is like a third about the Duggar specifically and then like two thirds about the toxicity and the danger. I mean, the abuse that it is awful of this uh, program. And it was there was a homeschooling curriculum made within it. And so these families who are part of this, I guess you can call it a church. I don't know if it really is technically a church, but um, it. Yeah, it's really. Oh, my God. It's so good. My sister-in-law texted me yesterday and she said, have you watched the Duggar Dog? I said, have I watched the Duggar Dog? I'm like, I'm about to watch it again. And I did. I turned it on for the second time. So uh, we had Hey Hon, we had the Duggar documentary, and then we had the new Hillsong documentary uh, on Hulu. And I am very triggered by the Hillsong situation because I had also a really traumatizing experience within a mega church um, that's kind of falls within the Hillsong adjacent family. I mean, it's not Hillsong adjacent. It literally is like I, <laughs> I went to one of those big conferences, a couple of them. I've seen Brian Houston speak in person, which is deeply embarrassing. And I can't believe I just said it out loud. Um, I was very, very deep into the mega church evangelical situation in my early 20s and I I need to like sit down and watch the Hillsong doc which with like clear eyes with my phone not within like 20 feet of me so I'm gonna actually pay attention uh and so I'll get into that eventually yeah no for sure probably uh yeah maybe next week so anyway moral story is the the media content that I've been blessed with is just I'm telling you, I don't know what I did to deserve this, but that's what I've been doing uh, most of this week. And then also rewatching Grey's Anatomy. Uh, and then I texted Tabor the other night being like, I'm so sad. I feel really like anxious and like a little depressed. And I literally, this is so embarrassing. I, anyone with like a toddler is going to be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I felt so sad and like worried the other night that I went and got Rue out of her crib and I like rocked her. It was like midnight. Like who would do that? wake up she didn't wake up because she sleeps really hard but like the potential that she could have woken up and then been awake for hours I mean who who am I and it let her I'm gonna tell you why 
I felt sad because I had watched like four episodes of Grey's Anatomy in like three and a half hours. Like that's it's that's why it's literally why there's no other reason other than that. And so, but I don't have the willpower to just like turn off the TV. So anyway, moving on. All right, uh, let's talk about something other than TV. What else? Uh, what else? What else? What else? Okay, so I turned thirty last week. Um, had one week of being thirty under my belt. I had the best thirtieth birthday ever. Tabor hasn't been home for a birthday of mine in so long. I think the last birthday of mine that we spent together was COVID, right? Yeah, it was COVID and he, was it? No. Oh my God. Yeah, it was COVID. And actually it was while the protests um, were happening after George Floyd and it was awful. It was hell. I cried all day. We went and we went to a protest. It was bad. It was bad, bad, bad. So that was the last birthday Tabor and I have experienced together. Um, but this one was great. I woke up. It was a gorgeous day. Cuddled with my dog. I went to breakfast with my neighbors. And then we hung out at one of their pools basically all day. I went home. I took a nap. I watched, obviously, Vanderpump Rules. Um, and then I went to a different neighbor's house, had a couple beers, came home. My mom and I got Grubhub, uh, out back and then I took a bath and I went to bed. Like it was kind of a perfect day. So, um, I'm so deeply thrilled that my twenties are over. They were a lot. Um, there was a point in time where I had something major happen to me, like whether it was a move, it was a job change, it was traumatizing. I had something major happen to me every single year for like 10 years in a row. And it happened until I was like, I mean, like literally last year. So every year of my twenties was like very heavy in different ways. Um, and I moved so much. I mean, if I really walked it back, I bet I moved six or seven times, maybe more than that in the last 10 years. And a lot of different states. Um, my dog has gone with me through all of it. And that's really it. I mean, that's, I thought about that when I woke up with my dog scout, that he's really the only living being that's been with me through the last decade of hell at some points. Um, and I feel like in the last year, I mean, ironically, it was the last year of it was my first year of motherhood is when I feel like I kind of like lifted this veil of being able to take a breath. Um, because honestly, I think it was a lot of it was just because of the constant moving and feeling like we're really settled in our house here in Michigan. We've lived here for two and a half years now, but the first year, right. As we moved in, I was planning our wedding and we got married here in our backyard. And then I got pregnant really fast and then I had a horrific pregnancy. And so then having a baby, I mean, it's like, even though the last year was like postpartum and that's its own like special type of crazy, I feel like I kind of am coming down a little bit almost of like, and I just feel very refreshed to start a new decade and to close a door on a really hard, um, heavy, but also like transformative part of my life. And 
so my 30th birthday was last week and then my daughter's first birthday is on Wednesday and I am my therapist asked me the other day how are you feeling about her birthday and I am like careful of how I want to talk about this because I don't know if this is a really if I don't know if this is I I actually don't know I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion I don't know if I'm going to get judged for this I don't know if this is the common response like I genuinely don't have a frame of reference or like a pulse check on what this answer is supposed to be but when she said how are you feeling about this first birthday my initial reaction was I think I'm supposed to feel sad I think I'm supposed to feel sad that she's growing up so fast I think I'm supposed to feel um, nostalgic and like it's going too fast, but I feel immense relief. And I felt that way. And maybe in five years, I'll look back and say, Oh my God, I can't believe like you were relieved that the first year was over. Like, I wish you would have enjoyed it more, which by the way, is a ridiculous thing to tell a new mother. You should soak it up more. Like I get it. The days are long. The years are fast. We hear it all day, every day. I get it. But with that, Someone asked me, one of my friends, Jeremy, he asked me last week, um, you know, we were talking about her birthday coming up and he was like, what is, what have you learned in the last year of being a parent? And I, I'm not going to lie. I can't remember what Tabor said, but because I think I was thinking about what I was going to say, because he asked both of us, I can't remember what he said. And I'm a little shocked. No, no, I'm not shocked. I was a little shocked by my answer, but when I thought about it, it makes a lot of sense because I think it's things that I kind of like spew all day long, but I don't feel like anybody's listening. What I said to him was that nothing is that big of a deal. And I take immense pride in the fact that after, um, like when I had Rue, I think I, you know, I've struggled with anxiety for a lot of my life, but my anxiety is kind of like a secondary issue. I I think I, my anxiety is pretty well managed. Depression is really like my demon. The depression is my demon. And the depression is something that I actively live with. That it comes and goes. It was not postpartum specific. I felt really okay until like seven or eight months. And that's when I had something really traumatic happen to me. It really... I mean, it by definition triggered a depressive episode that lasted a while. Um, but besides all of that, the way I parent and my the the way I interact with my daughter, I'm fairly low key and I'm pretty calm. Um, and one of the, in my opinion, as someone who again I have lived with at least some level of anxiety forever. Um, I have a tendency to be a little high strung at times. I think the people in my life were expecting me to be a nightmare when it came to how panicked I was over my daughter, how obsessive I was about things like schedules and just to be really regimented and very um, just kind of a basket case. Honestly, I think it's what a lot of people expected Um, and a lot of people my close friends whose opinion I care about the most said to me, you know, we're going to be honest. We are shocked at how chill of a parent you are. And I take that as a huge compliment (laughs) because it's something that I do actively work on. But it also, I surprise myself too with how, honestly, how very relaxed I am about a lot of things. And 
in my response to my friend who said, what have you learned in the last year? Is that nothing is that big of a deal. Her safety, obviously, that goes without saying, but I'm not a scheduled parent. I don't really give a shit what time she takes a nap. I don't really care if she, uh, you know, like, it's hard to think of examples because I think this is just overall parenting philosophy that I've been able to pinpoint more now that I have several friends who are pregnant and have newborns and watching the way that they do things and the way that I do things. And there is no right way to do this. I think whatever works for you as a mother and what works for you as a family, like that's the right way to do it. Um, example, I can't remember if I already talked about this or not. Like one of my best friends, she has a newborn right now. Um, and we were talking about schedules and she was asking me about sleep schedules. And I just couldn't, I feel like I was talking in circles because I'm like, I don't, I'm having a hard time explaining this and also remembering what I did and regurgitating it. And it took me a second to realize, oh, I, I can't really remember because I didn't have Rue on a schedule forever. The only, the first time I ever put her on a schedule was when Tabor got home from the football season because he needed structure. (laughs) I would just wake up when she woke up. I would put her to sleep when she seemed tired. She would wake up whenever she wanted to. I would only wake her up if she was napping for like too long. But again, it depends on who you ask what too long means. Um, And all of this to say, I realized in this conversation with my girlfriend that there, I think there's two types of moms. There's a type that schedules stress you out and give you anxiety or not having a schedule stresses you out and gives you anxiety. And I identify as the person that having a schedule to stick to makes me spiral. It makes me panic because then I'm like, oh my God, it's 1028. Like we should be upstairs. What if it's like, I, I don't know if this is a controversial, controversial thing to say. Maybe you think I'm a bad parent. I don't care. I really don't care actually. I cannot live my life that way. I just can't. I cannot live my life that way. And like, I'm going to be the 100,000th person on the planet today, probably, to recommend the bring the book Bringing Up Baby. I actually read it a really long time ago. Uh, my friend Lindsay, she is a therapist and she read it, I think, before she had kids too. And then she had a son and she kind of mentioned it a lot and would just briefly reference it of like, the, the point is that the point of the book, it's a American um, who was living in Paris and had children with, I think her husband, he wasn't Parisian, he was or French, he was English, I think. But she just wrote a book about the differences between American parenting versus European parenting and how children grow up differently. How, I mean, it, it's really interesting. And in my opinion, at least from what I got, is that the thesis of the book was you do not change your life to fit a child this child adapts into your family. And I heard a lot of criticism about the book that it's like, that's easier said than done. Um, you know, it's impossible. It doesn't work that way. I get that, but I'm going to be honest. I've kind of done it. I mean, I took her to a Botox appointment for the other day for God's sake. Like I took her to (laughs) which maybe is embarrassing. And like, I shouldn't admit that, but like she was sitting there while I got a consultation for filler, which I'm not going to do by the way, but I, I hardly wear makeup again. I've talked about this before and I don't, it's like boring. It's like not interesting to talk, to listen to someone talk about how much they don't wear makeup, but I, I don't like, I don't really fuck with my face. I get Botox in my masseters because I have like debilitating TMJ, but I'm still a person who looks in the mirror and I notice things about myself. I don't love 
and I have really bad bags under my eyes that it's genetic. There's not really anything you can do about it. So I got a consultation for filler. I'm not going to do it because it's so expensive and I really don't want to fuck up my face and I think it's a slippery slope. So, okay, moving on. The point is she was there for that. It's incredible what you are going to do when you do not have an option. I don't, I didn't, I had a babysitter for a short amount of time, which is hysterical that I had a whole podcast episode a couple episodes ago about how I found a babysitter and she's made me a better mom and she's made me like myself more. And I'm, well, she had the audacity to go to medical school and leave me. I'm just kidding. Lillian, if you're listening to this, I love you dearly and I miss you. Um, but she moved. And so I had to find someone else and I am really nervous to do that because you know, doing the thing, it, like thinking about doing the thing is way harder than doing the thing. Like, I think that's pretty universal. <sighs> okay. Um, what else have I learned in the last year? Actually, Tabor and I were having a conversation about like what we do miss about being childless. And his response was he wished that like, he would like to just drop everything and pick up and like go to Japan for the weekend. And I'm like, you didn't do shit like that before we had a baby. Like you never went places. And he said, well, yeah, I didn't want to then. And I'm like, yeah, again, no shit. You want to be able to do something just because you can't do it now. Like that's how brains work. There's a lot of things I want to do right now simply because I can't when in reality, I probably wouldn't do them. So um, anyway, that was his response is that he wants to just like go to Japan. And I'm like, you know what? Go, go to Japan, go to Japan, which I actually think he's probably going to do. So, and guess what? I don't care. I'm going to, I'm going to be honest. The only thing I can really think of, of like the simple joys or like not even simple joys, the big joys that I really miss the things that I miss doing before having a baby. I have one answer. The only thing that I can really think of and that's sleeping in. I think if I had a guarantee that I would never have to be pregnant again and I could sleep in every day, I'd probably have like 15 kids. I'm telling you, it's really the only thing that like yesterday I woke up just like sans alarm. I woke up at, which by the way, Rue was my alarm. I don't wake up before her. I don't, I get that a lot of people, I've seen this on TikTok a lot too. People who are like, wake up before your kids, your mental health will be better. Trust me. I believe you, but it's like never going to happen. I, because I just, I don't have, I, I think there's a lot of people who 30 minutes to like sit and meditate and read does make them a better version of themselves. But like if I got up and I opened a book and I started meditating, guess who would be asleep again in 45 seconds? Your girl. So like I, maybe one day, maybe one day. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like, I feel like that's, oh, no, what I was saying. I literally yesterday woke up without an alarm and she was still sleeping and it was like 8.15. And I was obviously, if you're a mother, you know this, what's the first thought? Is she alive? I checked. She was. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to go back to sleep for like 20 minutes. And I did. And then I heard her stirring at like 830, which like, by the way, also, if you have a child, you know this, if they're sleeping later than they usually do, they are what? Sick. And she was. So, um, yeah, it was just euphoric though. Like truly euphoric of feeling rested. Um, yeah, I don't know. Honestly, the biggest thing I've learned in the last year is like, if your mental health kind of sucks, you should probably just delete social media off your phone because I'm telling you all day long, I feel like I'm getting gaslit to think that I'm a bad mom for like not having my kid on a schedule when someone else does or that I 
I'm a bad mom because I have a baby who will nap wherever like a filler consultation or do you know what I mean? Like it you're just because you you see someone doing something and they have a lot of followers and seem to be getting a lot of praise. Right. Just because you're not doing exactly that, you then think you're doing something wrong. Okay, so that's baby led weaning. Like I I have been. I can't even touch the baby led weaning thing. Maybe I'll, oh God, if this podcast ends up being like really parenting focused, maybe I'll like have a whole episode dedicated to baby led weaning, but like I literally never want to talk about it again. So I also might not, but that's a good example of like, if you're not doing this thing exactly perfectly, you're doing everything wrong and your kid's going to be fucked up forever. And it's like, okay, but that's when you get the comments of, from my mom of being like, I didn't do that. And you turned out fine. And it's like, fine is relative. But on that note, I have a hot take about this. I talk about this a lot and I don't want to be offensive or offend anybody. But I think if you're offended by this comment, that potentially means it's a soft spot for you and you might. Okay. I don't know. I'm, how do I want to say this? There are the the comment, you all turned out fine. We didn't have all this stuff and you guys turned out fine. That comment bothers me so much because I don't think we are fine, right? I don't think we are fine. There, to start off, there could not be a worse time in history to have a baby, in my opinion. Our generation has lived through multiple global crises, a fucking pandemic, numerous recessions, we're currently living in an impossible cost of living. We are in a country that cares infinitely more about guns than children. Um, if you're, if you have a uterus, you are in danger by simply breathing. Okay. But as my husband points out to me all the time, we can't just let the stupid people have kids. Like we can't, we can't just let the stupid people have kids. So But because of that, like, we also have so much information at our fingertips about all of these things, the, all of the bad things, and then all of the things that just like at all. And I can feel my blood pressure rising because I do get really like, like spirally about this. The comment, we didn't have all this stuff, whether it's Instagram accounts, the baby devices, the, the goddamn snoo, and you guys turn out fine. Are we fine? We're the therapy generation, okay? Maybe, just maybe. Is is some of it a stretch? For sure. Are there things that are strict? Like, are there baby products that strictly exist because of capitalism? A hundred percent, baby Brezza. I'm just saying some of it might be helpful. The devices that you can use or the, the, the baby products that you can use that are really helpful for child OT or PT that can help development. Um, Instagram accounts about toddler behavior, like the whole phenomenon of respectful parenting. You know, when women do it, they call it gentle parenting, but when men do it, they call it neuroscience. Topic for a different day. Um, You know, things that we have access to that are at our fingertips that might seem trivial, but they also might make a difference and they might make our children more well-adjusted in any way. I fully believe that every generation, for the most part, I mean, obviously it depends on the person, but for the most part, people are doing the best they can with the information that they have at the time. But we have so much information, 
So we have a bigger responsibility to pay attention. But with that, we're also at greater risk for being so overwhelmed and confused all the time with things like fucking baby led weaning versus purees or do you sleep train? Do you not sleep train? Don't get me started. Like it just is really, it's overwhelming. It's constantly overwhelming. And yeah, what have I learned in the last year? If you're feeling anxiety and you feel overstimulated, like probably delete your social media and just like take a minute. Um, because sometimes when I'm feeling like ragey and spirally, um, my therapist one time pointed out, I was like in a depressive episode and then I came to her and I felt like really jittery. I felt really like elevated, uh, because it was the day of the Nashville shooting. She said, I think you're really angry and it's giving you energy. And I notice that sometimes that sometimes I'll be like depressed or anxious. And then all of a sudden I just have all this energy, but it's because I have gotten pissed off by something that I saw on TikTok. Um, because sometimes I like to do this thing where I like intentionally do piss myself off or if I'm feeling worked up about something already, I'll like go to something kind of controversial and then I'll click to read the comments literally just to work myself up more. Like it's things like this that it's like, okay, if I was as self-aware as I pretend to be, I would just like delete my social media permanently because like that's crazy. Like to say that out, out loud, like I sound absolutely insane. I sound absolutely insane. But like there's things, there are things that are like, like to completely contradict what I just said, there's a lot of social media shit that I think could be really helpful, but there's also a lot of social media shit that's like genuinely ruining parenting. And I think it is almost like, um, like diminishing our instincts. For instance, I swear to God, I saw an Instagram reel the other day. It was a video, like a tutorial about how to put a pacifier into a baby's mouth. I'm going to say that one more time. It was a video demonstrating how to put a pacifier into a mouth of a child. Like it needs some specific way to do it rather than just shoving it in. Like particularly if you're driving and then you like have to like reach behind you, like feel around for it, find it and then just shove it in their mouth hole. Like what I do most of the time. Like what the fuck? Like that's what there. It's just <laughs> the pendulum swings a lot sometimes. And I just think maybe taking a beat and doing like a social media fast can like 100% of the time help. Um, okay. Is there anything else I want to talk about, about, uh, parenting? Da, da, da. Uh, oh, well, I will say the one thing that I, again, have like kind of siloed myself into on social media, as far as like social media parenting goes, is like the whole like travel thing. This is a big, I have a big take on, um, like I said, nothing is that big of a deal schedules, nothing's that big of a deal. Like, no, like, are they, and I will say, I, maybe I should credit my entire philosophy on this, um, to one of my neighbors who, when Rue was a newborn, I felt really great for the first couple of weeks. And then I had a couple of days where I felt just like, I don't know if it was baby blues. I don't know. Like I just felt really down and I was really nervous just in general. I can't remember about what. And one of my neighbors and she has three teenage kids and she looked at me and she said, as long as she is safe and warm and loved, she's okay. And 
I do think that kind of is my, like my filter sometimes of if I'm spiraling about like what fucking pacifier I'm supposed to be using or sippy cup or not to sippy cup or whatever. Like are all of her needs met? Is she safe? Is she warm? Is she loved? Like she's fed. She's, she's okay. And point is because of that, that advice of kind of like getting back to the basics, um, I think I'm able to filter through, okay, like what is, are we in imminent danger? Are we, am I, am I, am, am I by definition overreacting to something that is not that big of a deal? Um, like a sippy cup. And then I kind of just like bring it back to reality and then I'm able to move on relatively quickly. Um, honestly, I think the biggest thing that the biggest example of nothing is that big of a deal. Again, just like I think I tried to say this like 20 minutes ago and then I cannot keep a single thought on its tracks. So I've completely derailed all of this. But what I was trying to say is it's incredible what you will do with your baby when you don't have the choice. Literally, I think I started talking about my sitter. I'm remembering this. I have got to, I need, I need to start making an outline because I'm telling you, I cannot keep a single train of thought. So I had a sitter. I don't anymore. Because of that, I have to take her everywhere again. But I did that for most of her life, literally with the exception of like, I had a sitter for like six weeks. She's basically a part-time nanny. She's great. So it's incredible what you'll do when you don't have the option. Like it's incredible where you'll take your child when you don't have the option. For instance, traveling. I mean, flying. Like I know I've become the poster child for flying with a baby, but it's because I have dumbed it down and simplified it because I don't, I didn't have the option to not, I wasn't like voluntarily flying all over the world with an infant because it was fun. It, in my opinion, it's not that bad because I didn't have an option. So I'm not in the business of making myself miserable over something that I'm having to do anyway, which like I did not used to be this person. I did not used to be like a, oh, it is what it is. Like in our house, we say eat the frog. I think it's like a football reference, but it basically is like you just have to fucking do it. Like get over it. Just you have to just do it. Um, And Tabor says it to me all the time. Like if I'm bitching about something that I don't want to do, he's like, you got to eat the frog. And I'm like, I know that, but I don't want to eat frogs today. So flying with a baby, I ate the frog. Like I, I just, I had to, I don't do it because it's fun or for sport. Like my husband was in California and me and our child were in Michigan and I had to get there and then I had to get back home. And then we did that dance like a hundred times. And I think, I think when we went to Europe, that was going there was flight 20. So she's been on 23 ish planes now and she'll be a year old in a week. And which I know is insane, not not 23 round trip flights, but like individual airplanes because we took a lot of back and forth trips to California. Um, we did go to Europe. We went to Nashville. We went to Philly. We went to a couple of away games. Like, and I was by myself for all except for maybe four. Um, Tabor for like one. And then which, by the way, was hysterical. Like, the first time I flew with Tabor was to Europe with he and my mom. And, like, watching him micromanage me through security with her was, like, I felt a rage that I don't know if I had experienced yet in my marriage. <laughs> I apologized after because I yelled at him. I was like, you don't know how to do 
and he was like, I don't know. So teach me. I'm like, oh, that's right. That's right. And then I apologize. But, but I do have flying with her down to a science because I dumb it down and I somehow by the grace of God, I have the ability to kind of tune out the rest of the world. I don't worry about anyone around me. Um, I just don't really care about other people's opinions. I don't focus on if someone's annoyed. Um, if she's crying, I kind of, it's incredible how much I can tune out, not her crying, but I can tune out like the, the responses to it. Right. Because I think anyone who has a child, it's like the cry, it's almost just kind of like, okay, she's whining, she's whatever. And you get used to it in your house, but then in publicly you're like, oh my God, she's crying. And it's like, what are you going to do about it? I'm not going to like wave a wand and she's going to stop crying. Like she's crying. So we're just going to like deal with it. Like I'm going to deal with this the same way as I would at home. I'm going to see what's wrong. I'm like, I'm going to just kind of wait for whatever is happening to happen. You're also on a fucking airplane and like her ears hurt. Like I just have the filter now to realize like the, the people who are around me who are annoyed, like it's, that's none of my business. It's just none of my business. And if you're an asshole to a mom traveling alone on an airplane, like I want to be clear, there is a special place for you in hell, like a safe seat, nice little on in the dirt, like nothing, you know, nothing fancy, just a little spot for you where your ass is going to go whenever you get there. Like I've only had one asshole experience on a flight. Um, and I have deja vu. So I feel like I already told the story once. And like, by the way, I have no short term memory. So I'm going to repeat myself constantly. And so I feel like I've already told the story, but um, quickly because I think it's interesting. I had in my mom and I were flying back from uh, the NFC championship to Detroit, from Philly to Detroit. And we were sitting next to this nightmare woman. I in 15, this, this was my 16th flight with Rue. Interesting factoid, which again, I feel like I've already said this, but again, I think it's interesting worth saying again. In 16 flights with a baby when of me flying with Rue, I had never one time sat next to a woman, which is just really interesting and odd. But then we have a friend who's a flight attendant and she was like, eh, that does kind of make sense. Like if you're by yourself flying, you're going to be next to maybe someone else who's by themselves flying. More men fly alone than women, especially sometimes I pay to get upgraded or I get upgraded. It's a lot of men by themselves in first class. So if there's a, like... It's not, it does make sense technically, but 16 and never once sat next to a woman is odd. Well, guess what number 16 was? We sat next to a woman and she was a nightmare. She was a bitch. She really hurt my feelings. The flight attendants yelled at her. She demanded to be moved because she didn't want to sit next to a baby. It was awful. I tried to chase her out. Yeah. The flying with the baby thing, you guys, you just got to rip the bandaid off. Like you just have to do it. And like, actually on that note, I... This is so random, but this is something that really annoys me. And I don't know if I'm going to annoy people or if I'm going to offend you. And if you've said this, like, it, no hate, no shade. I understand this is like a really common thing. It really annoys me. And I think it's because I fly with an, a, an infant and now I'm about to fly with a toddler, which I understand is a whole different ballgame. I get it. But as someone who has flown a lot with a child at all, and I've traveled on vacation with a child also. And also remember like 30 minutes ago when I was talking about how I 
live my life with my child fitting into my life. I have not transformed my life to fit hers. And I think some people might think that makes me a bad mom. But to me, I think that makes me a well-adjusted human who has the emotional capacity to create another well-adjusted human. Um, I still do the things that I want to do. And I just bring her along with that. And I refuse to not do things that I want to do within reason. Um, like I'm not going to like take her to a rave, but like I would never go to a rave. So that was a horrible example. Like there's nothing I fear more in life than like a music festival in the desert. Like everything I fear in life is like wrapped up into that. Anyway, what was I talking about? Okay. So something that really annoys me is when people say, it's not a vacation with your kids. It's a trip at a dollar for every time I've seen that or heard someone say it. When you have kids, it's not a vacation. Or if you're bringing your kids, that's not a vacation. That's a trip, implying that you're not on vacation if your kids are there. And I'm not going to be one of those people who's like really toxically positive about like mother. It's amazing all the time. There's no, I I I love it 100% of the time. I want my child around me all the time. I never want to do anything like. No, that's not what I'm saying. I need a break just as much as everyone else does, but. I also have been on a trip that I would classify as a vacation and my child was there because I don't think it was that bad. And I suspect I don't think it was that bad because I have the perspective of I'm not going to obsess about when she's going to go to sleep. I'm not going to obsess about what she's eating or when she's eating. Is she fed? Is she warm? Is she loved? Is she safe? we're all going to enjoy ourselves. Like I just, and I'm like, I, uh, this is like one of those things that I like dance around a little bit because I don't want to be offensive and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But at the same time, and I also hate people who are like really toxically positive. So like, I'm so sorry if it's coming off that way, but I do think your perspective matters. And I do think like, if you have, if you want to be a person that's like, you know what? I, I'm just going to table a lot of the things I like to do and I'm going to focus on them. That is, that is your choice. That is like that. There's a lot of people, maybe the majority of people who live that way. And I completely respect that. I respect you 100% ignore everything I'm saying, but that's not my choice. I, my best friend is in London. I really wanted to go to London and I have a baby and I think there's a lot of people who'd be like, ah, maybe in a couple of years when she's older. And I'm like, no, like I'm going to go to London and I'm going to bring my baby. So I did. I just think it's a perspective difference. And we had a fucking blast. We were privileged that my mom was willing to come with me for half the trip and she was immensely helpful. But then she left and then it was just Tabor and I and we took her to Paris and we our meals like less enjoyable. No, I wouldn't say less enjoyable. Are they a little bit more nerve wracking that she's going to knock a $75 bottle of move off the table for sure. But like, I'm just going to clutch my glass a little bit tighter. Do you know what I'm saying? Anyway. Um, yeah, that's just something. I don't know if I've ever talked about that with anybody before, but it really bothers me when I see people saying that. I think the reason it bothers me is because there is a really big, I, I, this I know I've talked about before, but I think the pendulum has swung 
to where instead of talking about motherhood like it is the the greatest gift in the world and there isn't any negative parts and there is it, it is strictly puppies and butterflies all the time the pendulum has swung really far in the opposite direction where a lot a lot of parenting content is really depressing and really dull and very unappealing and so i think the reason why i get really bothered when I see things like that of, you know, statements that really discourage people from continuing to live their life with their children. Like it, or I guess like discouraging people that like, it's not possible to continue to live your life when you have children. Do you know what I mean? Like when I see things like that, I'm like, it doesn't have to be that way. That's what I think I'm like really uneloquently, I don't know what that's word, like saying is that it doesn't have to be that way. Like there's a girl who I've like become like pretty good like acquaintances with on TikTok. Her name's Claire. She's hysterical. And I found her and I was really gravitated towards her because she's puts out a lot of positive parenting content of like I think she 100% would co-sign of nothing's that big of a deal. This isn't that bad. She and I get along really well because I think we have the same outlook of like, I. it's really a bummer that so much content that people my age, childless people my age are served. It like, yeah, no shit less millennials are having kids. Like again, World War Z. Like all of the things I mentioned before about how we're like, it seems like we're living in like the end times. On top of literally this week of the air quality in New York and like the entire eastern part of the country looking like the fucking apocalypse outside. Like, what are we doing? I mean, guys, that's climate change. Hello? <laughs> like, I I hate to break it to all of the flat earthers out there, but like, this is what we're talking about. Like, this is sad. All of this is really sad. And it's scary. And... No shit, we're all afraid to have kids. And so you have all of that on top of really like shitty parenting content on the screens in front of our faces that like it's our only glimpse into how other people live their lives. And if all we're seeing is other people living what's looking like really miserably, like now I don't want to do that. So honestly, I've never like truthfully, I think part of my intention of getting on TikTok was to like kind of actually show the bright sides of it because we have to find a happy medium. Like we got to find a happy medium between like puppies and butterflies are shooting out of my ass all day long. There's nothing I love more than being a mother. Everything is perfect. And I want to die. This sucks. You're never going to go on a vacation again. Like we got to find something in the middle. Um, and I think that's my plan. All right. Um, I think that might be it. Oh my God. Yeah. I've talked for way longer than I wanted to. Um, next week, I think I'm going to go into the Hillsong, uh, documentary and then also talk about mega churches. I have a friend who has, um, I have bribed to potentially talk about it with me. I went to, like I've said this a million times, I went to the university of Alabama. Obviously, if you listen to the Bama rush episode, um, Mega churches are crawling in the South, uh, crawling all over the South. And I was sucked into a mega church that was planted, uh, founded in Birmingham, Alabama. 
and has campuses that are now, I mean, still thriving, still alive and well all over the state. And I think they've ventured into surrounding states. Um, but I had, I was very, very, very harmed by that church. And I'm going to talk about it through the lens of the Hillsong documentary and the correlations I can make, uh, the experiences that I can relate to and the deep toxicity within the institution, specifically when it comes to, uh, evangelical megachurches that front as, uh, places for community and places where you can find people to hashtag do life with. Um, but really they're causing immense harm to myself, to populations of people who I love dearly, and they are doing a massive disservice to the community at large. So, uh, that, and like disservice is a really mild term. Like they're, I think these places are dangerous. Um, and, they need to be stopped. So more on that later. Okay. One thing, I don't know if I'm going to keep doing this, like things Haley likes, things Haley loves. One thing I'm really loving this week, uh, I had seen this a couple places like ads for these. And then my therapist actually recommended them last week when I was having a really, really, really like bad overstimulation. Like I couldn't, my fight or flight was just, I couldn't calm down. My nervous system was on fire. And I think it's like a ruse teething. And OTA's uh, spring camp is coming to an end. Tabor has been gone uh, for a lot of weeks now. And I no sitter, full on social, like solo parenting. I just thought I was like losing my mind. Um, and she recommended these earplugs that sounds bad. Like, oh, you're putting earplugs in like, no shit. You don't mind being a parent. Like you have earplugs in. No, it's not like that. They're, you can still hear everything. I can still hear her. I can still hear Miss Rachel. But everything's just a little dulled and they're specifically, they're marketed a lot towards parents who do have, um, potentially like a sensory, and I'm not saying I have this, but like for people who have sensory processing disorders or you just, you, you get overstimulated really easily. And I've talked to a couple other moms who feel that way. And we live in this like constant state of hyperfix or of like hyper, um, overstimulation. And, they, it's pretty mild. Again, it just kind of dulls everything. They're called loop. I got them on Amazon. They're like $20. Uh, I put them in today for just like an hour and I did feel a little bit calmer. So highly recommend. Uh, they're cute. They're mint green. However, they have the smallest fucking case and I will lose them within three days. So honestly, it's probably going to cost me like $60 a month because I'm going to have to keep buying them, which by the way, uh, I, nobody tell Tabor because I don't think he's going to listen to this or make it this far. If he does, I have no idea where the fuck my AirPods are. So between me, Tabor and my best friend, Matt, I have to count. Hold on. I have five. Matt has, I think six and Tabor has four. Between the three of us, we've gone through 15 pairs of AirPods. <laughs> like somebody do the math. What, how much do they cost? Maybe 200 times 150. <laughs> All right. Uh, what's the patron saint of when you like, I grew up Catholic. So I mean, like talk about where my religious trauma started, but like, I, does anybody else have memories of like praying to the patron saint of losing things? I remember being told to like, if you're, if you've lost something, you have to pray to the saint. What is a saint? But I like think about that whenever I can't find my AirPods. <laughs> um, so if anybody knows who that saint is, uh, maybe pray that I find my AirPods and then nobody tell Tabor and 
Okay, one quick story, and then I uh, I'm gonna shut my computer. The last trip that Tabor and I took before uh, I had the baby, I had a work trip in New York, and so we took it as an opportunity to like you know play with our friends and his sister. So he came with me, and he was like rushing me out of a cab because he thinks my biggest offense when we're in New York is that I like which this is egregious. Like I've got to stop doing this. Like I like look down while I'm walking or I like don't like look where I'm going and like I'm going to like get hit by a car or like someone's going to like punch me because I won't get out of their way. Well, he was kind of like rushing me out of this Uber because I was like doing that. And I was like, oh no. I'm like, no, I dropped my AirPod. He was like, you're in the road. You've got to get out of the road. I'm like, I dropped my AirPod and he rushed me and then everything like, you know, there was chaos and then I lost my AirPod and then I made a scene. I threw a fit. I made him buy me a new pair. And then I found the AirPod in the bottom of my purse like a month later. Uh, but to be clear, both of those pairs are now lost. So um, I lied. I actually have one more thing. So a few months ago, knowing that I was about to turn 30, I started thinking about things that, you know, have happened to me in my lifetime. And I've talked about how I have become a person who is very, I'm very convicted in my beliefs and, um, my opinions, the way I live my life. And also I feel really strongly about certain lessons I've learned. All of this to say, I started making a list of things basically, whether call it lessons, um, realizations, um, philosophies, And it's approximately 30 things. It's not. It's 21 things. (laughs) Um, And I have kind of been adding to it slowly. If something pops into my mind that um, I feel like is worth writing down and being a part of this kind of like, it literally is a note on my phone that's just called the 30 list. Um, I write it down. And if I'm explaining this poorly, I'm just going to read them. And for the most part, these are things that in three decades I have learned, I figured out some things I feel like I've cracked the code on, um, but just things that I think kind of describe me and the person that I've become. And not all of them, um, but some I think they could help other people too. So Here's my 30 list. Number one, if you feel sad, go sit outside. It's not going to solve all of your problems, but it's definitely going to help for at least a few minutes. Number two, sometimes you're going to be too tired to wash your face at night. That's okay. It's not going to kill you. Just go to bed and do it in the morning. Number three, the chemicals you put in and on your body matter. Aluminum free deodorant absolutely sucks, but you just need to do it. By the way, side note, I recommend Schmitz. Okay. Number four, The partner you choose is the single most important decision you will ever make in your lifetime. And if you realize you've made the wrong choice, fix it. People will gossip for about five minutes and then nobody's going to care. You can always correct a decision. Number 4B, getting married under the age of 25 is rarely a good idea. Do not let 22-year-old you make a decision for 75-year-old you. Number five, getting your nails done is the biggest waste of time and money, but it makes me feel a little bit better, so I'm probably never going to stop doing it. Number six, the worst thing I ever did for my finances was put my 
cards, my credit cards on my phone. Get rid of Apple Pay and you are going to save money, I promise. Number seven, there's a direct correlation between the cost of a bottle of wine and the severity of a headache. Spend about $15 more than you want to and you're going to feel fine the next day. Number eight, it is an abuser's job to make you think you are not being abused, both in romantic and non-romantic relationships. Listen to your body. It is never wrong. Pause for that one. Okay. Number 10, that job is not worth the cortisol that it's causing or rising. You need to care way less. They do not care about you. Shut the computer at 4.55. Walk out of the room. Even if you're at home, walk out of the room. Number 10, um, I don't believe in storage units. The only acceptable reason to have one is if you are in the process of moving. If you have one and you are not in the process of actively moving, you have too much shit and you need to purge. I actually feel strongly about that one. Okay. Also, hire me to come get rid of your shit. I would love to do it. Number 11, marijuana is great. And it's remarkably less dangerous than alcohol to yourself and those around you. And people who judge others for smoking or ingesting it yet drink regularly annoy the shit out of me. Number 12, if you love an item that requires washing and you use or wear it constantly, you need to buy three of them. Two is not enough and four is clutter. I learned this with Lululemon Align Joggers and Stanley Cups. Number 13, just buy a Stanley Cup. They are white women's greatest contribution to our generation. I unfortunately completely stand by that and I co-sign them. And I have three. Number 14. It is insane to me that people don't automatically take their shoes off in other people's homes or their own homes. Walking on clean floors or carpet in your shoes or putting them on anyone else's furniture is feral behavior. Were you raised in a barn? Okay. Number 15. If I'm in a depressive episode and I need to go somewhere to heal my soul, I go to Alabama to my best friend's houses. Katie and Lindsay, I'm talking to you. Your body remembers the places where it feels the safest and you need to go there. Number 16, boundary is the most important word in the English language. You need to make them, communicate them, and hold them. 17, this is to my husband. Designer clothes are never worth buying. If you want something, you need to rent it or buy it secondhand. Number 18, if I could have dinner with anyone alive right now, it would be Snoop Dogg. This is not a lesson. It's just something I think everyone should know. Number 19, Ross and Rachel were not on a break. And number 20, every single church should pay taxes. Happy birthday to me and happy birthday to my sweet baby Rue. Love y'all. Bye.